When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's your call sign, pilot? Um, we have to go. It, it's, um, Rogue? It's a- rogue Ones. Rogue Ones? There is no Rogue Ones. Well, there is now. Hello and welcome to The Rogue Ones, a Star Wars and or podcast from the Playlist Podcast Network that dares to rebelliously rise from the ashes of the Book of Boba Fett to storm the imperial gates of corporate Star Wars and say, help us, Tony Gilroy, you're our only hope. I'm your host, Mike D'Angelo, and joining me is my co-host, editor-in-chief of The Playlist, Rodrigo Perez. Together, we plan to deep dive light speed into season one of Andor right along with fans each week. Many of those weeks will also bring on special guests from the show to discuss stepping into the holy Star Wars universe, share teases from what's to come, and even talk about their favorite Star Wars films. We're kicking things off with a discussion of episodes that dropped this week on Disney+, Plus, which are episodes one, two, and three. And afterwards, uh, I sit down with Star Wars newcomers Kyle Soler, who plays Cyril Karn, and Adria Arjona, who plays Bix Colleen. But before we jump into all that, I've got to tell you that The Rogue Ones is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes the Playlist Podcast, Bingeworthy, The Discourse, Deep Focus, Be Real, The Fourth Wall, and more. Can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite shows. Be sure to subscribe to the Playlist Podcast Network and get this show and all those shows I just mentioned. Also, drop us a rating or a comment as we always appreciate it. Okay, Rodrigo, we got to see episodes one through four, but for the sake of our listeners, let's just not spoil things. Let's jump into one through three, which are basically an arc all unto themselves. So to start off, what did you think going in of the current state of Star Wars and how did these first few episodes kind of play for you? Right. Like as you as you suggest, the first three episodes are kind of like one long pilot in a way. Yeah, I'm glad um, they dropped one through three because yeah, they, they had one to. week. Yeah, they had yeah. to. I don't think they could have gotten away with one and two. They're too slow, I guess, you know, is, is the lack of a better word. Uh, like and just those two on its own. I think that you have to take the three of them in all at once. I think that's the, yeah. the best way to do it. But in terms of the state of Star Wars versus this, I mean, this is exactly kind of what I expected. I think a lot of people are shocked. I'm not at all. I mean, because I'm a big Tony Gilroy fan and I kind of knew what he was going to be doing. But like none of this really surprises me. I mean, it's it's proper real TV, which is what we're doing here. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is like more like HBO prestige TV. And the Lucasfilm stuff is more right now. Currently, it's uh, very serialized. Like, you know, as I as anyone who may have listened to 
any of our podcasts about this stuff in the past, which we've done quite a bit now that I think about it, is that like, I still think of like Bonanza, you know, like <laughs> of like Mandalorian, like we roll into this town and there's this villain this week. And that was a lot of, not entirely, but that was a lot of what the Mandalorian was in its, in its first two seasons, uh, changed a little bit in season two. Also uh, a lot of fan service in Mandalorian too. Yes. A lot of fan service, definitely, which is meaningless. It doesn't do anything as, as we know from this, that has no fan service. It's nostalgia for the nostalgia's sake. Like I don't mind nostalgia, like, like fan service, I suppose if there's a point to it, but most of it isn't. And then, it, and thus it just feels very superficial and then throwing fans like this sort of like hey we all recognize this give a dog a bone kind of thing which is i don't know i find that kind of useless and and Bo- book of boba fett certainly was kind of like that and i don't know i just find this like really uh far superior to most of the uh, lucasfilm television because i i find that stuff it's kind of like if it's not bonanza it's also very kind of like adventure like adventure of the week adventure of the kind of thing like this is much more substantive and and uh, we still don't know like where this is fully going like it there's some i wouldn't even call it even mystery but it just it feels like proper television i don't know yeah i am absolutely over the moon for this one like it's night and day i really enjoyed the mandalorian but as far as the world building the overall vibe of these first few episodes i mean it feels really outstanding i mean the mandalorian is very much in star wars's wheelhouse like you were saying it feels like old star wars which is great for the whole family and i've always wanted to see star wars level up you know for modern audiences for to to fully embrace the themes that it puts forward and tony gilroy is doing that in spades because it's so mature it's so complex far more than anything we've gotten in the star wars universe it's taking the rebellion and imperialism and the characters on both sides as dead seriously as possible so i think it's just outstanding it's full of subtext that tony gilroy's writing is is also full of like we've said uh, offline here the nitty-gritty details of what it takes to build like a rebellion and excel as an empire or be swept up in the middle of it like it's so complex and awesome and the thing that may upset star wars fans everything is so ground level that a lot of the fantasy element they're barely there so yeah it's totally gone but that's that's on purpose right like i mean yeah like here's something that i wrote in in my review on the site is that like you know in removing like the you know, i'm sort of paraphrasing myself so apologies for that but like in in sort of like removing the jedis you remove the white knight kind of heroic element of star wars and, and 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 in having no kind of Sith, you remove the like the sneering bad guy. And what do you have left when you've taken away the the archetypes of like golden hero and black villain? You have more gray, right? And you have people yeah. scrambling for you have the foot soldiers on both sides. Yeah, this is this is more like a ground level view. And so like I maybe it's gonna disappoint those people, but I don't know. I find this tremendously more interesting. Same. It is it is like a it's a it's not even like, you know, it's funny, it's called Andor, but I think what we're probably going to see, um, and I've talked to Tony Gilroy, so I, I'm intuiting some of this stuff, and we'll see that, we'll listen to that in interview eventually. I think we're going to roll it out with episode four, um, and I'm going to roll out more pieces on the site about it. I've sort of chunked it up a little bit, but, you know, um, I really get the sense that it's more of an ensemble piece, and I think you get that already from the show, but I, it's not just about Cassie and Andor, it's about 
rebellion and resistance and enforcement, right? So it's like showing mm-hmm. all sides of it. It's showing the the humans and and the, their struggles. It's it's like a show about life during wartime, right? Like what yeah. is what is life during wartime or like life during under a dictatorship, under an oppression, what is that like, right? And so you have all facets of people who behave in different ways from people like Andor, who like was very cynical and skeptical when we first see him in this series. He's completely different from the hero that we've seen in, I wouldn't, again, I, that's also weird. I, he's not, I don't find him much of a hero in Rogue One. He's a soldier. He's kind of, mm-hmm. he's got to do what he's got to kind of do, but he, he's at least a more of a heroic figure there. And he's not here. This is a man who, who, is more like, you know, if people are like, if this is a dictatorship and there's, a you know, and, and how do you live under it? His his view is more like, well, everything's fucked and it's not going to get any better. And I'm just out there trying to, to scrape by and survive. Right. I'm, I'm going to do what I can. He's running scams. He owes a lot of people money. He's just uh, he's com- he would be the he's like the opposite person that you'd want in a rebellion. I mean, obviously, someone sees something in him and we'll get to that. But you know, it, he's, that's one perspective of life during wartime or life under a dictatorship. And then there's the flip side of it of people who are like, you know, Kyle Soner's character, um, who we're going to talk about in a minute, his serial character, he's kind of like wannabe cosplay, cosplay, uh, imperial guy. He's more like a contracted, uh, law enforcement who, who, who wants to, he's like wannabe empire. Right. And then there's Denise Gao's character who is like, very already imperial officer who's super ambitious right and and then we see the mistakes that people make there's a lot of the bureaucracy of like power moves and shifts on both sides it's really complex it's really interesting and it's yeah we just haven't seen that before it's more the nitty-gritty nuts and bolts of resistance rebellion and the opposite side of enforcement and to that end, I mean, you know, the, the, I just have like just say one quick little thing. I have a beef with the people who keep saying like we've never seen anything like this before in Star Wars, and yes, sort of, but also no, because like it's a very much a jumping point off of Rogue One, you know, which Tony Gilroy got to write and rewrite and work on a lot and do a lot of stuff too. But it's almost, you know, it's almost not. It almost feels like his opportunity to be like, okay, I helped with this. I didn't fully make this thing. I joined halfway through to help it, but now I want to like take it from stem to stern and really, really give it the Tony Gilroy treatment. You know what I mean? Yeah. It almost kind of takes the formula that made Game of Thrones successful, like taking these fantasy worlds and elements and taking them very seriously and making it about political intrigue and uh, obviously drops a spy element into this one. And it just kind of applies that to Star Wars. It takes everything very, very seriously. It's inherently yeah. more adult. For um, sure. But it, like, it's almost like instead of like, you know, I mean, that, I've been saying that too. It's very adult. It's very very treated seriously but it's also just kind of like a serious like what would it really be like to live under a dictatorship like what are the practical emotional like practical like behavioral stuff but also the emotional stuff what what is that like and as we've seen with the show one thing's sort of also really kind of interesting and again i think this ties back to rogue one because the character is very much still like that is there's a lot of anger and sort of bitterness in Andor, right? Like mm-hmm. there's a there's a sort of like a lot of fear that pervades um the show. There's a tension, there's an immediacy, and there's kind of like a, a desperation, right? Like it's like a this is like a, a difficult time in history. And they're treating it like that. You know, it's not like, oh, the Empire took over and you, you were really seeing what that means, you know, like that time, that that time period, like what how did it actually affect people um, emotionally and psychologically? And and we're you know kind of really seeing that. And the thing that works all the all the better is that it's not telling you who these characters are through exposition. 
it's showing you who they are, which is why episodes one and two are kind of slower because you need to establish who they are. You need to establish these worlds. You need to see that subtext within the dialogue rather than just like expository dialogue telling you who these characters are as you meet them, which I think Tony has done really, really well. He shows you who the characters are. Yeah, and on the other hand, I would also say he doesn't show you who everybody is fully formed. And that's why exactly. some people are being like, this is kind of slow because it's purposely leaving you kind of guess, like you're kind of piecing together who these people are. It's kind of leaving you a little bit guessing as to who people are because there's like a lot of duality to characters, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, um, like obviously Andor, he's not, he's he's like, we're seeing him, what's, what I think is a really interesting choice. It's like, you're taking the history of this character, right? And you're starting it out with like, what's the worst version of, of Cassian Andor? Who, who is he at his worst? And that's where the show begins, right? He, it, like the show begins on his, the worst day ever of his life, considering what happens in episode one. And, and he's, he's in, in a pretty like shitty state, right? In terms of like his psyche and stuff. Like, so that's an, a super interesting point to jump off of. But then there's just that whole duality. Like there's layers to people like, um, like Cyril played by Kyle Soler, um, he's obviously very much, like I said, want to be imperial, but he experiences this great kind of humiliation and defeat. And I don't know, I feel like he's really one to watch. Like, I feel like he could go either way. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know where that character is going in this yeah. good way, in this really interesting way where I'm not confused and I'm super intrigued as to like what could happen with that character. Like, is that someone who gets like recruited at one point? Does he turn? You know, like what I love about like Rogue One and stuff like that is all the sort of like real nitty gritty stuff about spies and espionage. And one thing that, you know, we saw insurgents, we saw radical terrorists, we saw all this kind of stuff in Rogue One. But one thing we haven't really seen um, in Star Wars, at least in this in this consideration of war, is moles. And I'm like, could someone be a mole uh, eventually? You know what I mean? Like, could we see that kind of character? Could someone like him be that? I think like, I feel like a lot of these characters open up a lot of possibilities of where they could go. And with Kyle, we talked a lot about that stuff, about, you know, these first three episodes, him starting out as one thing and becoming another thing by the, the end, where you're just like, you see a full arc within these first three episodes just for him. You know, he starts out as this nervous Boy Scout and he wants to prove himself and he really believes in what he's doing. And then he fails so miserably. And that, wow. that sets him up for the rest of the series so well. Like you said, we don't really get to see him. I guess you can say you don't really get to see him in four, but you know that you're going to revisit him and that there's going to be growth there and you're going to get introduced to people, you know, in his life and see him kind of either bounce back or take a different route right yeah i mean again he's like i would say you know my favorite character actually is stellan skarsgård's character which who we, oh yeah do, um luthan but kyle kyle's uh, uh serial character is probably the most interesting in terms of like this could go either way yeah we can't really touch on why stellan's so interesting because a lot of it isn't revealed until that that fourth episode where he's just like oh that's interesting so he's this versus you know this guy all the time where he's meeting andor and funding the rebellion and trying to get things going there's also another side to his life uh, and that kind of branches out this whole other universe within the show which is really interesting can't wait for more people to see that yeah yeah i mean I, like i think 
The first two episodes are a lot of uh, setup. There's a lot of flashbacks to Andor's home planet, Canari, mm -hmm. which I think really tries to, um, that's, some, you know, to be fair, I think maybe some of that stuff, some of the weakest stuff in the series so far. But I also think it's yeah. trying to say stuff about colonialism and like migrants, right? Like he's, he's essentially... Mm -hmm. We don't really know the full, well, we kind of do, like, we don't really know his story, but we kind of do, like, it hasn't really been shown, but we kind of know what happened to his planet. Um, it's sort of been suggested. And we know that he was like taken from that planet and um, separated from his sister. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and, you know, where was his, where were his parents in all this, right? Like it, we still don't know that kind of part, although we do kind of know some of this stuff from Rogue One where he suggested that like I think it, there's that line that he's been in this fight since he's been six years old and at first I was confused by that but I think that's what they're trying to convey on Canari like he's he's doing some sort of like kind of clandestine stuff with the, his sister and that whole kind of band of like they're almost like teen Morlocks or something <laughs> they're they're uh, they're like rogue kids and they don't really seem to have parents we don't really know why presumably they may have been killed but it's, it's sort of interesting how they sort of layer in all that stuff and then they can kind of like flash back to tell the story but it sort of speaks to all the I, what i like about that is it speaks to his sort of current state of mind because if he's been rebelling as a teen and saw that kind of go nowhere when now that he's in like you know his 20s and he's in the middle of this dictatorship he's like yeah i saw how that went that went fucking nowhere all i saw was death like why would i want to get involved again you know what i mean the flashbacks are probably the weakest part, but they really tie into who he is and set up the characters that you're still like his mother played by Fiona Shaw. Yeah, she's is, great. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Fiona Shaw is the best and she'll be on the show later uh, a couple weeks from now as well. Um, yeah, she's such a great her. actress. She brings such I mean, everybody like brings such gravitas to everything, right? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And you, you kind of understand the relationship right away when you see him get kind of taken off that planet and his mind gets blown. And uh, I just love the end of that that episode. Yeah, maybe it's episode three where they show that them leaving the planet and just kind of juxtaposing him leaving Canari and then Ferrex. That's it's it shows him there's that that him and Luthen leave at the end of episode three. They leave Ferrex and there's the uh sort of like a cross cutting showing yeah. him his uh his his uh his home world yeah, um, i love that that episode three is really i would say yeah, if, any, if it doesn't you win know, you over then what the hell i will I mean. well, no 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 but I, yeah i mean i was gonna say like you know episode one and two if you find it like a little bit slow it's kind of gets to getting through the mechanics of everything it's sort of doing the, the setup of the world the tone the characters the tenor we're seeing where uh you're getting a real good sense of where Cassian Andor is in his life which again I, as, as I said like you know kind of the, begins with the worst day of his life and it begins with him and like the kind of the shittiest version of who that person is mm -hmm. at that point in his life he's at his lowest he's got a you know ex-girlfriend who doesn't seem to trust him he doesn't seem to have anybody who trusts him everybody owes him money and then you know so it's establishing all this stuff and then it's episode three where it's like really starts to come together where uh, Luthen Rail, played by Stellan Skarsgård, uh, reveals himself, and it's like everybody wants a piece of of Andor in by the episode three for a, a crime he's committed, which you know people who listen to this will probably have seen this already by now. Um, but you know everyone wants a piece of him, and so does so does Luthen, and we kind of don't really know why, but then we kind of understand later on, like it's yes, he's he's coming to get uh, a piece of uh, Imperial hardware for him, but really he's there for a test. He's right. been he's had his eye on. Cassian Andor and he I mean I don't think it's much of a secret to say that 
you know, Luthen is basically a, a, a kind of a king master, a puppet master for the nascent rebellion. The rebellion's not together yet. There's 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 a lot of different factions of a lot of different people that are that are resisting essentially. And what his role appears to be, which seems pretty obvious, is that he's pulling people together. He's he's like a king master. He's working with different people, and he is uh, working to sort of bring cells together and bring different factions together. I mean, we see him in the trailer. Uh, we haven't seen it at this point yet, but we do see him in the, in one of the trailers for Andor where he's talking to Saw uh, Guerrera. And obviously that's another person that he's going to go to to try and like, can we pull everybody? Like who, who are all the people in the galaxy and who are fighting and resisting? What are the factions? What are the cells? Can we pull them all together? Can we do it? But the, what's, the interesting thing is it's less about the heroic yeah, let's get everyone together. And it's more about the, like, can these different ide different ideologies and different perspectives and different personalities, can they mix? That's the more interesting part rather than like, you know, old Star Wars would be like, yeah, I came to this planet and I grabbed so-and-so and I went to this planet and I grabbed so-and-so. And, -so, and I, I grabbed 50,000 ships and brought- Right, right. And I showed up at the end of, <laughs> I showed up at the end of uh, Rise of uh, Skywalker, which is boring as shit. You know, yeah. this is more like the, how do you get people together? Like how, who, who are you to be able to to pull those people together and be a real leader and convince people like what are the difficulties of that so that to me is more definitely what you're going to see in this series like it's not about the like let's go fight the bad guys it's like how do we fight you know yeah. and, and it's a lot of the show is about on both sides of that like how people like how do we fight either both from the empire side we see people disagreeing and arguing like leadership bureaucracy about about how to do certain things. And I think you're going to see the same thing with, with the rebels when that comes together. And as a hint, I mean, we already do see that in episode four. Um, mm -hmm. There's that kind of like, there's a lot of infighting. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like people, it's very human in that way that it's like people say Democrats are in disarray or whatever. It's like, because like, you know, it, it's human to, to disagree and not everyone being on the same page of how to fight. You know? Yeah, even if you're heading towards the same point, there's going to be a lot of different yeah. routes that people want to take, and you have to figure out the best way forward. For sure, yeah. So we're we're kind of drooling all over this show, <laughs> trying not to too hard. Is there anything you have, you know, a, a critical eye towards so far? Is there anything you you're not loving uh, as far as these first three episodes go? I mean, I think if anything, it's what I said like earlier. It's like I think the first two episodes were a little bit slow, and I think the 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 fa the flashbacks. I think while they're um, they're super interesting and they inform the character. It, it it messes a little bit with the pacing and stuff. But like I've seen it in the big picture of everything, like, cause you know, we got four episodes, right? And so I almost looked at it as like three, an episode pilot plus one. And, and taking it in the, the, the totality of that, I think it's awesome. I, I love it. So, you know, I have minor quibbles, but yeah, I've, I've mentioned them. And I think in, in the totality and the shape of, of those four episodes, I'm like, especially like when three and four, I'm like, man, I'm in. I'm like, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm really in. I think after watching the first two, I I had more like, this is interesting, but I was a little bit worried for, I, I was, my, my initial, my first initial thought was like, I wonder how Star Wars fans are going to take this, these two episodes. And then three, mm -hmm. comes in, and then I, you know, and it's like, oh, okay, I get it. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's a slow build and slow burn to all this stuff. And even so, it's really different for like Star Wars, that episode three, like the tension being released or built up and played with there is doing it in a way that Star Wars doesn't really, doesn't really do it that much. So it's, it's very ground level spy type stuff obviously that warehouse scene is pretty intense and that warehouse scene is awesome and some of the best stuff of that warehouse scene is essentially like you know there's a lot of shit going on in terms of like 
things flying around. But the meat of that, the meat of the, the stuff that's like the real stuff is basically just Andor and Luthen talking and like almost having a kind of fight with words. It's like this joust between the two of them. That's the shit that I'm like, man, this is great. You know what I mean? Like they're just spitting. It's like they're spitting venom at one another. You know what I mean? Especially Andor, who's like so bitter and so cynical about all of it. And yeah, I mean, that stuff was like, yeah, the laser blast and the whole like, you know, that the whole setup and stuff like that is, is pretty uh, intriguing and fascinating. But it's like, you know, the real shit is is, is like it's it's like, how do you make a dialogue scene, a fight scene of, of like, you know, daggers and shit? And that's basically what it is. It's kind of a master class in that. It's pretty great. Absolutely. I wonder how they're going to kind of structure the season going forward. Are they going to do these like three episode arcs that kind of build off each other? Or do you think it's just going to be a straight shot from from here on out? It almost feels like they're doing like these different mini arcs within the show. Like it might be built in episodes of three. It could be because I think, uh, you know, some of the other writers, you know, not Tony Gilroy is not the sole writer. He's the showrunner and creator. Um, but his his brother, Dan Gilroy, who wrote, wrote and directed Nightcrawler, is a writer on this. Bo Willimon, who um, created A House of Cards and uh, wrote uh, Ides of March. He is a writer on this. Uh, and, and, and coincidentally, um, Tony Gilroy was also, I don't think a lot of people noticed, but Tony Gilroy was also uh, a story consultant on House of Cards. And Bo Willimon is kind of one of his uh, protégés. And he would go to Gilroy a lot to sort of like feedback on scripts and stuff like that. He's a noted uh, fixer. I mean, he fixes a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. He's sort of notorious for being one of these people who just can like see, can look something and diagnose the problem really early. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, your leg's the, your leg's broken in this scene. You know what I mean? Like that. Mm-hmm. he's he's really quick and really fast at doing that. So people uh, go to him for that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, and so, so there could be because I think they do write in bunches like that. But, you know, I think this is the first season I think is going to be more elongated. And it's like, you know, this, um, I think it's going to be from the sounds of it very different from from season two as well because season two is going to take uh, four years because season one is one year right it's mm-hmm. one year over twelve episodes and uh, season two is four years over twelve episodes so um, you know you'll be a lot more condensed and you'll be telling you'll you'll certainly get more like those three arcs will be certainly more pronounced in season three you know what I mean they're going to take or season two sorry I think they're going to they're going to probably look at it because I think they were actually envisioning it as I know that they were. I mean, Tony told me told me this and I think it's pretty public now. Like the uh, the cast had actually signed on for five years and some people thought wow. they were going to do five seasons. And, you know, uh, they definitely talked about doing two or three, maybe maybe more. And then I think they got there and they shot season one and they were just like, God, this is such a, an immense Herculean task. Like, I don't I don't see how we could possibly do this for five years or five more seasons. And and everyone was kind of like, it was just like a big, big, big epic thing. And, you know, Tony told me in his inter- in, in his interview, I guess I'm spoiling a little bit, but they were sort of like, we can't do this, man. Like, how do, what's our exit strategy? How do we get out of here? Because we, <laughs> we cannot do this for five. We've done, we're not even done one. Like, uh, basically it was them uh, together and or, or, you know, Diego, Tony and one of the producers. And they were like midway through season one. And they're like, we're already wiped we can't do five. <laughs> How do we do this? And he came up with the idea of like, well, let's truncate the rest. You know what I mean? And so he's, I'm pretty sure he's had a sketch for how, cause you know, obviously we know how this ends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he's got, I think a, a pretty good idea of what's going to happen. And then, so then probably from there, they're going to condense, right? It's like, what are the, the four biggest moments in the life of the rebellion and 
and Cassie and Andor in through those four years. And then, you know, that's what they'll probably weave through through those four three arc episodes. And yeah, it's like three episodes, I think, will cover one year each for those four. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I'm really excited to hear more of that, uh, the interview, the conversation that you had with Tony. He's kind of endlessly fascinating and comes up in every one of the interviews that I did at the, the Andor Junket. Everyone is just praising the hell out of Tony. So it's funny because it's like uh, it's so interesting because like to me it's like none of it surprises me because i know him so well and i know like when i saw this spying to the show i was like yep this is what he does but other people are like (laughs) don't maybe know the work so much or just so shocked and surprised and bowled over by like how he's sort of like you know changed star wars but then again like i would say that you know very much a i think taking up what he already helped set up in rogue one and taking it to its next logical conclusion and you know using television to dive deeper into the whole uh, nuts and bolts of it all, which is what he kind of does. You know, actually, I saw this great, I'd love to have her on the podcast, actually, we should have her at some point, but Roxana Hadidi, hoping I'm pronounced that right, or Hadid, she did this great um, uh, review where she likened it to Michael Clayton, like Star Wars is is basically (laughs) Michael Clayton. And I was like, what? No. And I started reading it. And then by the time I was done reading it and I read her argument, I was like, oh, okay, (laughs) that makes sense. That's a good (laughs) argument. It's pretty, I guess I'm gonna have to rewatch Michael Clayton to think about that. Or just read a piece. It it it, it breaks it down pretty simply and pretty easily. That's crazy. It's involved. Right. It's really good. Yeah. Well, for our listeners, Andor's first three episodes again are up now on Disney Plus with new episodes dropping weekly through November. Rodrigo, let's tee up the interviews with Kyle Solar and Adria Arjona, who plays Bix Colleen. Kyle Solar. Uh, as we said, he's kind of on the, it's technically not the empire. He's like a security officer. Yeah. And, he's like working for basically a security contract kind of like sub empire and, right. and, and essentially like, but he's like, seems he has like great ambitions to be part of the imperial, an imperial officer properly. And it seems like his division kind of gets swallowed up by the end of it anyhow. Because they, like, you know, when right. they get reprimanded, people come in and be like, you know, all right, you're under our ju- jurisdiction now. So yeah, he's basically, um, we can call him I- empire adjacent. <laughs> empire adjacent. So he's he's the kind of uh, empire side of things. And then Adria Arjona is the, the opposite. She's the rebellion. She's the kind of uh, rebellion contact that Andor has on Ferrix. Uh, yeah, but we still don't really know how rebellion centered she is she's more just right now from what we've seen from those three episodes she's a friend of andor she's got some contacts she hooks him up with some stuff she's a uh like a tool kind of she's a whiz uh, with her hands a a fixer kind of thing um a mechanic basically Mm -hmm. Uh, but we're like as of this point we you know if you told me that she doesn't become part of the rebellion, I could buy it. If you told me she does, I could too. I think that's what's sort of cool again about the the writing. It's kind of open ended, and people have duality. She has the, but she certainly has the potential to be someone who could be a part of the rebellion, or she could just be someone who was part of his life early on, and we don't see her later. We don't know, right? So probably tells you more about it in the interview, but um, you know, I think that's that's the sort of the interesting part of it all. Yeah, Adria is a little cagey on the return stuff, but I'm fairly confident we're going to see more of her, more of Marva, uh, his his mother, and and all kinds of stuff that's going on either on Ferrix or maybe maybe the stuff kind of catches up to Andor himself. Regardless, let's uh, shoot it over to our interviews with Kyle Solar first up, and then Adria Arjona. We said at the top we'll be doing a bunch of these the Rogue Ones episodes for Andor. The Rogue so, Ones, yes, the Rogue, the Rogue Ones. ones. <laughs> for Andor. So keep checking back. 
every week for more recaps, interviews, sweet Star Wars puns as the show airs. For Rodrigo and myself, stay rebellious. Right, Mike D'Angelo with the playlist. Kyle, how are you, man? I'm good, Mike. How you doing? I'm great. I love the beard. Well Thank done. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to start out by saying Andor is fucking awesome. Like really, really good. Uh, I genuinely couldn't love it more. It's my favorite Star Wars show. Congratulations. It's it's Thank amazing. You, Thank yeah. you. And you nailed your character of Cyril. So I guess let's just start out by talking about how the role came to you. Was it like an audition fest or was it kind of uh, shorter than expected? Yeah, it was a lot shorter than expected. It, it came through, uh, I was doing a play in New York and um, I flew back to meet Tony Gilroy and Nina Gold, the casting director. And it was that simple. It was like, there was one meeting. I kind of I did these sides uh, a couple different ways for Tony and Tony was like, okay, great. And I, th <laughs> I think that's just because Tony was so specific about what he wanted and he and, and Nina Gold is such a genius. Mm -hmm. And I think he had an idea of, of all the, the people he wanted to put together that would help make everybody better. So it was pretty straightforward. Yeah. Did he share, how much did he share with you up front right away with like what you could expect for, for your arc? Did he lay it all out for you or was it just like, here's the basic character and ready go? Tony, Tony was very cool. He, he, he did lay it all out, but nice. in as much as he even could, cause they were still finishing writing it, uh, you know, as he was pitching the character to me. But um, what he did manage to do is say, you know, this character is like, he starts here. Uh, but I'm not really sure where he ends up. Could go here, could go there. And I was like, all right, okay. Because I'm like trying to plan out five, you know, years and everything. But I realized it's just being amazing at giving an actor a gift of like sitting in the not knowing. And especially with a character like Cyril, who is in a state of becoming and understanding who he is and what he might want to be. And it was a great opportunity to sit in the unknown in that creative yeah. space. And um, that place can be like positive, but it can also be really <laughs> dangerous where you don't know what somebody's going to do. And he'd also just written like such a detailed portrait of an antagonist, a kind of Star Wars villain that I hadn't really seen before. As you get in further into the series, like, you know, you, you get to understand what his home life was like. You meet his mother, you know, <laughs> you like, you understand what makes this guy tick. And he exists within that gray area that Cassian all these characters exist in like they make questionable decisions and choices and good and bad isn't isn't as straightforward as just ticking a ticking a box you know it's yeah. these people are really complicated and um yeah yeah so that's so what I love about Tony's writing it's very mature and I mean that's no slight at Star Wars like that other Star Wars is not mature but this is a next level this is a step up as far as the detail, the layering, the the themes that he's wrestling with. Characters, like you said, they aren't just light and dark. And and yours is a very good example of that. Like he's like so, uh, by the time you get to that, you know, the last episode I saw was the fourth one. So by the time you get to that, you, like you said, you have no idea where this guy could go. The, the, the sky is the limit 
as mm. far as where this kind of angle takes him. And I'm so happy that they're launching the first three so people can get a real sense of who he is. Were you yeah. surprised when you sat down to read the scripts, like how dense and layered these characters were? Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I sort of didn't really know what to expect, but I thought, oh, Tony Gilroy is like, that's really interesting. And, you know, I'd seen Rogue One in the theaters when it came out. And I was like, wow, that's, I didn't know Star Wars could kind of go in that. Yeah dozen direction and spy thriller and kind of gritty human story and then when I read like the scripts for for Andor I was like okay it's a socio-political drama it's a spy thriller it's a family drama it's like a Star Wars epic it's like multi-layered multi-weaving storylines that are like Dickensian Mm -hmm. in its scope and and it has Tony Gilroy's kind of expertise and genius behind it. I was like, wow. Yeah, man, I was, I was super surprised and blown away. And it didn't really take me that long to say yes. Yeah, I know a lot of people compare things to Game of Thrones these days, but it does have similar ambitions and vibes as far as like the, the interweaving stories and the maturity of everything. Obviously, there's not going to be nudity yeah. left and right, but you know, it's, it's still, it's really dense. It's really good stuff. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, you might see some naked droids, but uh, <laughs> they're always naked, right? But like, yeah. but yeah, you you get a an inner working of the machinations behind the empire in a really new light. You get to see a different side of the empire you've never seen before. You know, the corporate bureaucratic structure system, the kind of like workplace environment, mm-hmm. and then the rebellion completely at its genesis nobody's even whispering about it you know so these two huge archetypal structures these beasts of the star wars universe really at the beginning of what they become by rogue one and a new hope and that 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 being at that point of of genesis was like it was really cool because on one level you kind of forgot you were in star wars because the empire and the rebellion aren't fully formed yet thought you were in some amazing kind of space show that Tony Gilroy created yeah and, and then as it goes on you're like wow no you feel this as you say kind of Game of Thrones the epic exploration to how these movements have become what they became yeah. mm-hmm. and how you start you know just really loving characters that you despise at the beginning like yours kind of starts out as this you know, I wanted, I'm on the the empire and I want to be this boy scout for the empire. And I believe in the empire and you want to prove yourself. And then you kind of go through this journey in those first three episodes. And then you see yourself fail miserably mm. and you can tell how much it affects him. Like what yeah, was yeah. the experience in, in that particular episode, the third episode, you go on a real journey. Cause what was your experience filming that one? Cause that that's a lot. Yeah, it was amazing, man. It was like, as you say, within the first three episodes is such a huge journey it's like a complete character arc yes literally in the in the first three episodes and and I just kind of thought like wow what a what an amazing opportunity to sort of like create something like that that detailed and that deep like that early on but yet episode three is like him risking everything everything that he believes in everything he thinks he's put on the line for the cause of being noticed um, by the empire and at the end of the day Cyril is really like he's trying to do a good job really yeah like some other corporate security officers have been murdered and he's like I'm an inspector we should inspect this and it's almost like a culmination 
or the kind of end of his story, right? In episode three. And yet there are like nine more episodes to go right. to like explore the inner life of this guy and what choices he'll make after he's been burnt, you know, and after he loses everything. And so I, I, I approached the first three episodes as kind of like the infancy yeah. of Cyril. You know, he's mm-hmm. real pre-adolescent, like really acting out and um, expecting more of everybody and of himself and trying to get that approval from his mother, but also from the empire. And then as we all do in life, like experiences a great deal of failure. And then what happens to that person directly after? But from a practical, like filming perspective, episode three was fucking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it, it was full of those action scenes and high stakes, you know? So it was super mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. It seems to be implied, I mean, with, with your performance, with the, the layered writing, it seems to be kind of implied that he, he has this chip on his shoulder. He's trying to prove himself. Did Tony share with you what exactly he's he's going through there? Or does he just want you to to figure it out? Or that that's something that comes later in the season? It's something that does come up later in the season. I mean, I think one of the things he he steered me towards is like, you know, he he's primed to be a very, very good foot soldier. Yeah. You know, he's somebody who's so desperate for control and power. And then I started to explore, okay, well, why would you be interested in control and power? Mm -hmm. And then we spoke about what his home life might've been like growing up with his mother. And then that gets explored like within the series, you know, Mm -hmm. crazy. And really he comes from a place of lack. You see the apartment he grew up in they didn't have much and you understand why his rigidity and why he is so specific about how he presents himself. And that comes directly from his mother, but also has nothing is ever good enough. And that his job was actually a handout, you know, mm. from a, a family friend. And that actually there's a lot of responsibility placed on Cyril's shoulders to be the kind of like future of the family. So this, this deep seated lack of self-worth and give me validation through a structure system and give me acknowledgement through a structure system like the, like the empire, which is rewards based, you know, like if you take power and control away from other people and you give it to us, like you'll send the ranks. It's like much cleaner and easier than trying to like, I don't know, exist scraping metal in Ferrix, you know? <laughs> and so, but he also is, is, is just primed. He He's lacking certain things emotionally as well that make him a very good candidate for being taken away by by a movement you know yeah absolutely i cannot wait to see what happens with his character as the show goes on but i do want to ask some quick star wars questions for you just as far as a fan what was your first introduction to star wars growing up were you a new convert did you kind of watch it as a as a kid and, and kind of love it like the rest of us and then two what's your favorite movie of the star wars films Yes, yeah, so as a kid, my my older brothers and I would like we watched Empire Strikes Back on repeat, like on the weekends, man. <laughs> like it was, uh, I think we burned out the VHS and like, and that was that was that was pretty big for a, a period of my childhood. And then I never really I appreciated it still as I got older. But it weirdly wasn't until I saw Rogue One when it came out in the cinema, and I was like, again, like wow, wow, yeah. that's where they could go. That's where they're going, and. I was so surprised. And I think, I think kind of as an adult, I still have such nostalgia 
an appreciation of Empire Strikes Back, but as an adult, I'm not being paid to say it, but like, I think it is Rogue One. Those are my top two, genuinely. Uh, I'm not just saying it because you're saying it. Yeah, but they're giving me the wrap. I want to thank you so much for giving me your time again. For uh, people that are listening, Andor premieres its first three episodes on September 21st, and they are amazing, and Kyle's amazing. Again, wonderful work, man. Can't wait to see what's next. Thank you so much, Mike. Been a pleasure. Adria, again, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm excited to talk to you about this show. So I've been telling all your co-stars this. I am absolutely in love with this show. I love, love, love Andor. So I'm not the only one. Our editor-in-chief at the playlist is really, really gung-ho on it. He wants to do like an episodic, you know, podcast where we go, you know, week to week with it. So everybody loves it. It's really great stuff. I love this. I'm going to tune in. Awesome. Congratulations on being in some truly great Star Wars first up. And then Bix herself, how did this role come to come to you? And how long was that process of getting the part? You know, it was, I think this um, show was the weirdest audition process. I'm like, it wasn't normal, right? I, I I got the script and I did a self-tape and that was normal. And I remember knowing that it was Star Wars and I'm a big Star Wars fan and I and I really have been wanting to be part of this universe for so long. So I really, you know, wanted to do a good job. I did it like a million times and I ended up using the first take anyways. <laughs> um, and then like it always happens, right? You just right, overthink right. things. Oh, I'm a I'm a big one in that one. And then, you know, I, I, the pandemic sort of happened and we weren't sort of sure if, could I travel? Could I not travel? And I ended up being cleared. It was so early on and and I met Tony and I, I met Diego and in my head, this was going to be sort of like a test, right? And if you don't know what a test is, is like the studio sort of tests you, right? And they, they have to have approval on you. So it's producers, uh, Disney, the studio, the, this, the, that, everybody just has to say yes. And I did the scene. I did the scene once with Diego. Then Tony had Diego walk out. And then I did another scene once or twice. And then the room sort of went quiet. And I was like, well, you know, if they don't ask you to do it more than once, it usually is because you did a bad job at it. Sure. And I was like, oh, I I screwed this one up. I was so upset. My heart was in my stomach. And then Tony just looks at me and goes, well, welcome to Star Wars. And I was like, what? You don't often get it in the room. That's amazing. got it in the room and then Tony as I'm in complete shock Tony went to the first AD was like meet Adria she's gonna be Bix Diego meet your new co-star and it was the most surreal 10 minutes of it all happened within 10 minutes and it was just something that I will never forget and it's not a testament to my ability as a performer it really is a testament to Tony's ability as a showrunner he was like this is it I I'm calling the shot and that has that been a through cool. line with these interviews that I've been having is Tony is very, very specific about what he wants and knows what he wants oh, yeah. uh, when he sees it. Uh, so obviously you're great for Bix uh, and then Bix and Andor, they have this history, you know, when we meet them, we're just dropped into their lives. Were you given their backstory at all? I think Tony understands and I think he trusts actors a lot and he, we, we kind of collectively spoke about it and, and, and created something and, and between Diego and I, and then we sort of went out and did our own little thing. But what is for sure is that they've been friends for ever and timing has never quite been on their side. And that's sort of where we meet them. We meet 
Bix being like, I am done with Cassian. I'm going to be with Tim, who's stable, who's always here, who never leaves, who never has a double agenda, who's supportive. And she gets to be a business owner and, and management of a manager of a sale yard and, and have ownership on that. And then Cassian sort of walks in and she's like, oh, God. Yeah. Because he's disappointed her and Marva for years now. But there's a love and trust that is unbreakable between them. Bix doesn't trust anybody else more. Cassian doesn't trust anybody else more. So when a friend asks for help, you you do so. Do you think he's kind of replaced his sister with Bix? Or is there more of a romantic undertone to to their relationship? I think it's more romantic. It's definitely not. Mm -hmm. I think it maybe in childhood. I don't I don't really know, but I think it's developed into there's definitely a yeah, a, a chemistry between the two of you. I'm not denying yeah, that at all. I, I mean, I think so. I just think timing has never quite been on their side, which is yeah. why you see like hints of jealousy when he asks about Tim and and she's like, It's none of your business. <laughs> you won't do shit. You know, she's like You didn't make a move, man. Yeah. <laughs> So when we finally leave her in episode three, because I love her journey, you know, one through three is a real big journey for her. Uh, She's gone from being this like invested member of the rebellion to basically like being broken and left behind by Cassian. So do you think she blames Cassian for all this, for what happened? Or is she just moving forward as as she would any other day? I, 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 you know what I think? Um, And even playing it was so complex because here is someone that, was murdered in front of you, who was your partner, was you almost kind of took for granted because I think she does. I think no one is in comparison to Cassian or what she could ever feel for Cassian. But he betrayed her. He lied and betrayed her and could have cost the person she loves the most or one of the people she loves the most his life. And so that whole last, like her last scene in episode three is this just she is in complete and utter shock and I think more than blaming Cassian I think she blames herself she never thought that saying he was from Canary would be such a secret there's never been a reason to think otherwise right it was she said it in the confidence of her own relationship might have said it once and and that is something that will forever stay with her they know it's him because of Tim's sort of big mouth <laughs> and curating to her and I think she really does I think she does blame herself and is completely fearful of of where Cassian will end up or what is where is Cassian is he okay where is he going but she also wants anything but for Cassian to come back because yeah. she knows what that means she knows that Cassian coming back is the worst idea ever and fears that he will come back yeah I think she blames herself for Tim's death for everything that's sort of happening and 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 it's it's just a horrible it's a horrible position to be in really after we leave her in episode three yeah do we circle back to bix can we at least say that much or are we not even able to share that i mean i guess you're gonna have to keep watching <laughs> damn okay uh you also get to share I some scenes that. that would okay. be insane all right <laughs> fine i just want to see her again i'm hoping i do um <laughs> What's it like sharing scenes when you're like in a scene with Stellan Skarsgård and Diego on the other side? Is it like intimidating at all? Or are you just like, I got this? Well, I think it's intimidating in rehearsals. I think it's intimidating mm. off camera. But I think when you're on camera, everyone is so game. And I think the 
they they set the bar pretty high. So it kind of makes it easier on you to sort of, it forces you as an actor to sort of step up. And I don't think it's intimidating because at the end, we're all actors. They're fabulous actors and brilliant actors. And, and I respect them a lot. I think the first time you meet them, it's you're kind of shy and you're like, oh my God, this is so cool. <laughs> and then you geek out for a second and then you kind of have to put that to the side and be like, all right, let's get to work. Yeah, absolutely. What is the best part of working on a Star Wars show that people wouldn't necessarily think about? I mean, I'll speak specifically to this. I think for me, it's Tony Gilroy, his writing and it, it's a gift. It really is a gift. The production value as well. You know, Ferrix was an actual city and like an actual real city. It's crazy to even say it. It was, it was huge. It was city blocks long and wide. And, and I sort of would get lost in it, but I also had the ability to, to explore Bix's life on a more immersive level. Like I was like, where does Bix have a drink after work? Where does she go to a restaurant? What's, what's her afternoon walk? Where does she go have lunch? All of this, I was able to explore and I would go into the restaurants and everything was real. You know, yeah. I could open any drawer and there was exactly what a bar would have in a drawer and just looked a little different because we're in Star Wars, <laughs> of course, but it allowed me to get into character a lot better. And I think there's something very specific about Ferrix that there's this like camaraderie. It's this place where, where you're so Ferrixian, like anyone that you see, you're like, oh, you're so from Ferrix. Um, it's such a specific place. So being able to live there for months at a time, and it was in a studio, it was outdoors. So if it rained in London, it rained in Ferrix. Um, so being able to live there, you know, I spend more time there than I did in my own apartment. So it helped me so much. Did you take anything from set? Maybe, maybe not. No, I didn't. I respect it. I feel like there's something about Star Wars that it's cinematic history. Mm. And that is something I respect. Like in the ocean, I would never take anything, anything that is from the ocean belongs in the ocean, unless it doesn't belong. Like if it's a piece of plastic, right. then I'll take it. But if it belongs in the ocean, it stays in the ocean. That's my rule. If it belongs to Star Wars, it stays in Star Wars. That's beautiful. It does, I not, love it. It does not belong to me. So you say you're a Star Wars fan. What was your first introduction to Star Wars? Did you grow up watching it? I did. And I, and I, you know, I think I did and I thought I understood it. And then I watched it. I watched, you know, up until historically, up until Rogue One. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't understand half of this, you know, when I was younger. <laughs> and then I really had to drop it. Mm. I really had to drop all of it. I think this show is, is, tonally very specific i think what this show does is that you don't you don't even have to be a star wars fan to watch this show you you, you don't even have to have watched any star wars show ever to really start um andor so i have to i had to say that i really kind of shifted and and i had it on the page i had the gift of having you know a great script in front of me so i had to focus on on that and sort of drop everything else respectfully know where I am historically because Bix would know that um mm -hmm. but then I think there's something about Ferrix that is people live day by day in Ferrix um they're survivalists they 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 strive on I made the day good I made it so there's something about even reading the scripts that is very much like you got to focus you got to survive that day so I couldn't be thinking too much of of anything True. else as just a fan, do you have a favorite Star Wars movie at all? I really, it, it kind of bothers me because I, my favorite movie is Rogue One and no one is believing me, but no one's believing everyone's like, you're biased. And I was like, no, it's the reason that I'm in this show. I think it's a beautiful 
piece of work. And I, when I got this, I was like, I am so interested in exploring what sort of made this character's path into that. And, and how did I affect, how did, how does Bix affect? And, and all of that was super, was super interesting to me. Yeah. Rogue One is a totally valid answer. I accept it's great, it. Like, it's a great movie. I'd put it at like, maybe number two for me. I love Empire. So Wait, which Empire. one's your number one? Empire. Empire Strikes Back. Empire. But, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's it's wonderful. But Rogue One, I rewatched even today. And I was like, damn, this is a really good movie. Good so movie. I just love it. But uh, they are giving me the wrap with you. I want to thank you for, for giving me the time. Like I said, by the time we listen to this, uh, for our listeners, Disney Plus will have episodes going up every Wednesday night uh, on into November. Adria's excellent in them. So thank you so much for taking the time. I really look forward to seeing the rest. Thank you so much. It was so lovely speaking to you. 